with others is both a blessing and a curse in life. The Bible begins with that declaration. It's not good for man to be alone. Uh, we're made for one another. Aloneness is not the norm. Um, so much of what gives us meaning and strength and comfort in life is our relationships. As you look back across your life, even at the very end of your life, one of the big things you'll focus on are the important relationships in your life, more than a whole lot of other things that seem to matter in the moment. And yet, being with others is also one of the great challenges and pains of life. Some of the deepest wounds and most overwhelming discouragements come from being with others. So the Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky can, in his book, The Brothers Karamazov, put on the lips of a monk. Uh, Father Zotzima says, I love mankind. He tells a story about someone saying, I love mankind. But I marvel at myself. The more I love mankind in general, the less I love human beings in particular, <laughs> separately, as individual persons. In my dreams, I would often arrive at fervent plans of devotion to mankind and might very possibly have gone to the cross for human beings had that suddenly been required of me. And yet, I'm unable to spend two days in the same room with someone else. And this I know from experience. Sorry, I've got something in my eye. Um, no sooner is it that someone else close to me comes close to me, then her personality crushes my self-esteem and hampers my freedom. In the space of a day and a night, I'm capable of coming to hate even the best of human beings. One, because he talks too long over dinner. Another, because he has a cold and is perpetually blowing his nose. <laughs> I become the enemy of others very nearly as soon as they come in contact with me. To compensate for this, however, it has always happened that the more I've hated human beings in particular, the more ardent has become my love for mankind in general. So we can be like that, love the abstract of humanity, but really struggle when it comes to the person next to me who talks too long, um, you know, uh, whatever it is. Or Jean-Paul Sartre, the existentialist philosopher, wrote a play called No Exit. It's the arrival of three characters, Garcin, Estelle and Inez, in hell. But hell's just like a room. They're just stuck in a room. And soon it becomes clear that that is going to be their eternity in this play. And Garcin cries out in the play, Oh, these eyes intent on me, devouring me. What, only two of you? I thought there were more, many more. So this is hell. I'd never have believed it. You remember all we were told about the torture chambers, the fire, the brimstone, burning. Old wives' tales. There's no need for red-hot pokers. Hell is other people. Hell is other people. That's how the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre puts it. We'll be miserable with people. It's hard to be with others. And yet we'll be miserable without people. <laughs> so how do we be with others? Well, the Christian life, very clearly in Scripture, is communal. This very text that we looked at at Citywide Gathering last night, and uh, I'll be looking at again this morning, Colossians, the Bible book of Colossians, is not a private devotional text. It's written to a group of Christians, to the, um, as it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Verse 3, thanks God for them. And we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven. And this, this book goes on and on and on about the fact that how when you come to faith in Christ and you come to peace with God and forgiveness and new life, all those things that come to you as an individual, um, you become part of God's people. 
what's called the church, God's gathered people. And so, for example, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, it says you should give thanks to God the Father who has qualified to you to share in the inheritance of the saints, the holy people, in the kingdom of light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom is redemption and forgiveness of sins. Or in verse 17 and 18, he speaks about how Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Or 1 verse 24, the Apostle Paul says that he suffers and shares in the suffering of Christ for the sake of Christ's body, the church. 3 verse 12, as we began this morning with, 3 verse 12 addresses Christians as a group, as God's chosen holy people, dearly loved. And from 12 through to 17 is a description of communal life together. Uh, clothing themselves with compassion, humility, gentleness, patience. These are things you live out together. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule over your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in words or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Christian life is communal. Jesus even points to this reality um, in uh, when his, his family comes to take charge of him, worrying if he's, he's lost his mind. And people come and say to Jesus, oh, your family are here, uh, you know, your mother and your brothers. And Jesus says, well, who are my mother and my brothers? But Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. As the church together, we find a new community. So the Christian life is communal in the church, but most fundamentally, of course, the Christian life is communal with God. God is the other. Being with others, well, God is the first other, the great other. And, and if Sartre in his play can say hell is other people as we're exposed and vulnerable before other people, how much more before God are we exposed and vulnerable? And yet in Christ, God reconciles us to peace with him. And so again, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And Colossians 1 verse 20, through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you are alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil, evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. How awesome is that? Now this community, the church, our relationship with God and our relationship with his holy, dearly loved people, this doesn't mean that all our other relationships evaporate that to become a Christian means to completely cut yourself off, like joining a commune or a, a cult where you no longer associate with those outside of your religious group. No, uh, I continue to live out my new life as part of God's people in, my, in the middle of my old life. And as I've kept pointing out last night as well in the being yourself section of this sermon, this is part two, we didn't get to it last night, so I'm recording it now. Um, but... Uh, 
Uh, I kept pointing out how at the end of Colossians chapter 3, say from verse 18, we begin to talk about people as wives and as husbands, as children, as parents, as slaves, as masters, all through chapter 3. Um, and then chapter 4, it can talk about verse 5, being wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, letting your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everybody. I live out my new life in the midst of the relationships, many of which are part of my old life. I am who I was even as I am who I've become and who I'm becoming and who I will one day be finally. In fact, as I do that, like this verse, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 hint at, as I live out my life in the middle of all the other relationships, that's the way in which people come to faith in Christ, is they know and see and watch and connect with one Christian, a group of Christians, a community, the church, uh, and that's an ordinary way that people personally, new people, come to join the church. The Christian life is communal. Not to say that there's no place for aloneness. It's not to say that we don't have different amounts of relationships we can manage closely, you know, or different preferences and capacity and, you know, introverts and extroverts sort of thing, the degree to which I uh, am energised by lots of time with people. Um, it's not to say there aren't some unique, exceptional experiences of life which are quite solitary. But as a normal thing, human life and the Christian life is communal. It's social. It's interpersonal. It's being with others. Christian spirituality is being with others. Christian discipleship is worked out with others. Christian worship, Christian evangelism, Christian mission are all ordinarily social interpersonal, communal. God brings us together. Sure, I mean, we can relate to what Sartre says in his play. Often it does feel like hell is other people. And yet, heaven is other people too. And the experience of heaven begins in the here and now. So then, some practical thoughts on being with others. Again, here from Colossians chapter 3, we... Well, first, notice the things that destroy community. So many of the sinful things are also destructive socially as well. Have a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and following. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, um, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these things in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you've taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. That lists a bunch of impure desires. These aren't just things that are kind of toxic for your soul and your conscience, but they affect the way you act towards and behave towards others. Sexual lust that lusts and objectifies others. Unwanted staring. Pornography usage. Sexual activity outside of the proper context of heterosexual marriage. That that lust and that desire uh, of a, the wrong sexual nature is not the loving way to live as God's people together. Greed. Idolatry, he says it is. The love of money, the love of comfort, the love of power and status. To love those things more than charity and sharing and generosity and contentment. Those also toxic motives and desires that affect the way we conduct ourselves with others. 
love of money, a love of comfort, a love of status can mean I look down on others. I'm merciless to others. I'm not, I lack generosity. Rage. Not controlling your temper. Snappy, sharp, pointy words. Threatening behaviour. Physically aggressive. Hurting, hitting, pushing, shoving, squeezing. The kind of rage that expresses itself in manipulation and messing with someone's head. Uh, the, the passive aggressions and the, the games of control. I tell you what, that's a serious thing too. You know, that's a serious thing. The control of the temper in however it's manifest. It's a big deal. It's not the way to be with others, God says. Foul talk, lying, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. It's not just talking about rude words, saying this word, don't say this word, do say that word. A word in the right context may well have an appropriate meaning. It's not, But in a sense, rude words do express a kind of foul way of talking. It's a, it, words become rude words because they are negative, um, de derogatory, debasing ways of talking about holy things or physical things or sexual things. Um, but you know what, you can talk in a foul language way without using any rude word at all. Like, look, I must admit, I have seen the conduct of some Christians on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook groups, those who in many ways would be very conservative theologically, uh, very um, conservative and moral they might see themselves as in terms of uh, family values or, or theological correctness. And yet when I watch their conduct in a Facebook discussion group, it, it is foul, even if there's no swear words involved, the, a, a bullying, sneering, mocking, demeaning conduct. Even actually implications of various kinds of sleaziness, if no dirty word is used. It's not okay. Lying, gossip, slander. Protecting ourselves, justifying ourselves, attacking others. And again, Christians can do this. We, we can do this in our own behaviour, in our grumbles about church or complaints with others. We can do it when we get worked up about a workplace or the university or in politics. The name calling and the unfair accusations and the jumping at data without fact checking. Put that stuff off. That's not how to be with others. Christians shouldn't be with one another that way, not as the holy, chosen, dearly loved people of God. Put that off, God says to us here. And instead, Put on a different way of being, a different self. And again, so much of this stuff is about how we live together, not just private holiness, but public social being with others. Colossians 3 verse 13. Well, we'll go from verse 12. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. How different is that to evil desires and slander and malice and rage? Soft, gentle, patient, de-escalating, giving rather than taking, uh, seeking to understand rather than to accuse, assuming the best in the first place rather than the worst, uh, being slow to take offence rather than quick, Forbearance and forgiveness, even with the annoying, the mean, the selfish, the stuck up, even with the person we might think of as the snowflake or the needy or the rightsy or the person we see as pig-headed or rude or um, so on and so forth, bearing with, forgiving, seeking peace, and love, put, over all these things put on love, he says, doesn't he, that binds it all together, that a loving heart seeking the good of the other with warm giving of myself for the other. That holds it all together. And a spiritual life is a big part of this too, isn't it? We see there about the thankfulness, the dwell, having God's word dwell in you, but also in our community that God's word dwells among us. Uh, speaking and singing God's word in our hearts and with our lips living for God's glory in everything we do. Thankfulness in our hearts. Look, our relationships on earth are still relationships with sinful people. We, we, we still are who we were. And although we have become something new in Christ and are becoming that day by day, that work will never be complete. And, and sometimes you begin to notice the things that just hang around, the besetting sins, the systemic patterns of behaviour and thinking that are stubbornly persistent. We're an unfinished project, as I said, at Citywide Gathering last night. We have still all our relationships, even in the church, even with ourselves, are with sinful people, that there's an inadequacy and a compromised nature to the structures of our relationships, our societies, our church. It's, it's all... So you've got to be prepared to be disappointed. You've got to be ready to be patient, to seek peace, to be forbearing, to forgive. You've got to be ready to face the fact that this is going to be a challenge. And that even from Christians, we can be shocked and outraged and just really disheartened by the, the terrible things people, Christians do, or, or people who call themselves Christians as well. The terrible things we can find that Christians do. And weak, shameful ways in which Christians excuse it or minimise it or cover it up. Or don't be surprised by that in your Christian life. The fact that it seems to happen so often tells us it's very hard to avoid falling into sin and dealing with it inadequately. It must be harder to resist and harder to avoid responding to sin inadequately in the church than we think it should be. And so we shouldn't... If the outrage takes the form of, it should never be like this, why is it like this, it ought not be like this, there's something wrong with God and something wrong with the church, uh, you've misunderstood things. You've got to understand, this is what it's like to still live in a broken, sinful world. This is what it's like to be with others in a broken, sinful world. This is what it's like to be in the church in a world where sin still rules, the devil still prowls around. Then in that context, 
Christians will really disappoint us and hurt us and, and fail us. So we need to forgive. Well, we also need to confront, speak the truth in love and, and confront things and seek challenge and seek better ways, seek proper uh, exposure of evil and, and, and imperfect human justice and, and so on and so forth. Proper reconciliation and restitution, these things. Set up boundaries, set up safeguards, all that kind of stuff. We've got to be ready for that as we live together. But you know what, I don't want to just end on that note because learning to live with others and to love others is a wonderful challenge and a wonderful privilege and a wonderful burden and a wonderful blessing. Learning to listen well and anticipate the needs of another person. For others to know you have truly seen them and known them and welcomed them. That is amazing. To be seen, to be known, to be welcomed. That is wonderful. Learning to understand and love those different than you, different sex, different background, ethnicity, culture, economic background. It, it, we struggle with it, but it's such a, it broadens us. And it's a wonderful thing to see human relationships cross those boundaries. We learn so much in the process. Um, the ability to bless another person, how, how cool is that to think I made a difference in their life? I was used by God to be, if you like, God's uh, hands, blessing them, supporting them, giving to them, strengthening them, teaching them, equipping them, helping them come to faith in new life in Christ, helping them grow and be strengthened, be lifted up, to travel through a darkest night. Um, to, to be fruitful and strong in their life, to bless another person. You can do that as you be with others. You can do that in your prayers and your words and the ministries and the work and in the context of your life. The astonishing joy of forgiving another person or being forgiven, and that is hard, but gosh, it's a special thing. The special delight of sharing the message of Jesus Christ with another person and then them coming to personal faith in Christ, repentance and trust and now living and waiting for his return so that they have become a brother or sister. Ministering and serving and worshipping together with you gives you the chills. It, it, it's like it's a mountaintop experience. You know, the hypocrisies in the church, the scandals are just the small disappointments and betrayals and so on. They can be so big and so discouraging. We lose sight of all these ways, big ways and small ways, of wholesome, genuine, authentic, glorious godliness. But being with others, being in the church in particular, can be really sweet, sweet indeed. So there you go, being with others. Come to meet yourself and know yourself more fully than ever before by coming to faith in Christ, being made new in him. Come to live out this self with others in the community of God's people and beyond. The joy of knowing that begins now 
being myself, being with others, is the beginning of life forevermore. And that's the end. There you go. So um, being yourself was last night at Citywide Gathering, and that recording will pop up um, uh, on our website and our podcast soon. Um, and then this stuff here, like if you've just tuned in for a little bit of it, this will also be up on our Facebook Live video section, but also I'll upload this to our um, podcast and website too. All right. Have a great weekend, guys.